Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. Today, of course, is September 11th, and so we do remember in prayer all those victims, both living and deceased, of course, of the terrible 9-11 attack on America, the great tragedy some years ago. We always remember them in prayer, both the living and the deceased. So please do remember them in prayer, whether at your church, your liturgy, you're going to liturgy today, any kind of communal prayer, private prayer, just mindfulness. Just, just being mindful of it and that whole situation, all that it means, all the ramifications, what it points to, what to consider, what to pray about, lots and lots of things to meditate on. Again, we remember in prayer, especially those who are deceased victims of the 9-11 attack on the United States of America. From time to time, it's good to go back to basics. And that's what we're going to do today. Some basic questions. Some basic questions I get asked a lot. And we'll start off by the most basic question of what do we mean by the Eastern Catholic churches? Or what do we mean by the Byzantine church, as people often ask me? They'll say or ask, what is the difference between the Byzantine Catholic church and the Roman Catholic church? Or sometimes they'll say, what's the difference between you and a regular Catholic? (laughs) They say regular Catholic because really what they mean is that their association with Catholic is primarily the Latin Rite, sometimes also called the Roman Catholic Church. But to be specific, it would be the Latin Rite, which happens to be the largest of the rites of the Catholic Church, the one that's most common, especially in the Western world. But it's not the only right of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is made up of many different expressions. And what we mean by that is that when the church spread, remember going all the way back to the apostles, the time of the apostles, Jesus said to go and teach all nations. And so they did. They went everywhere. In fact, St. Thomas, imagine back then, St. Thomas went from the Holy Lands to India. And our Indian Christians are very proud of the fact that they were evangelized by St. Thomas. They'll always point that out to you, that we were evangelized by one of the apostles themselves. 
So it's an incredible idea, incredible thought that back then, without the means of transportation, that the apostles went that far in evangelizing. They went all throughout the world. Well, as they did, and those missionaries after them, as the church grew, the church would take on the character of the culture it was in. And basically, you can divide culture, historically, between an Eastern and a Western approach, something like the human race. We're all human, but we're fundamentally female or male. In other words, we experience and see life through a feminine perspective or a masculine perspective, basically, even though we're all human. Well, the church and civilization was very similar. It grew up around two complementary worldviews. So as the church spread, especially in the East, there were multiple rites and expressions within the two basic approaches of East and West. There were even multiple approaches in the West. There was actually more than just the Latin rite over time, and there still is, but for all practical purposes, in the Western lung of the church, as St. John Paul II calls it, there is primarily the Latin rite church. But in the East, there's a number of rites. And let's go through them. The churches of the Eastern lung of the church, which have no counterpart in the Orthodox church, and that's another point to realize that many of the Eastern Catholic churches have a counterpart in the Orthodox churches because the Eastern Catholic churches, for the most part, came from the Orthodox churches. Remember that there was a great split between the two lungs of the church, East and West, in the year 1054 AD, and that's what created what we know as the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic church. Well, parts of the Orthodox churches, over time, began to reunite with Rome, and that's what created the Eastern Catholic churches. So all the Eastern Catholic churches came from an Orthodox church, except for two, the Maronite Catholic Church and the Italo-Albanian Catholic Church. Now, the Maronite Church comes from one of the Syriac traditions, and in fact, from the Assyrian Church of the East, there is the Chaldean Catholic Church and the Syro-Malabar Catholic Church. Again, their histories, their origins are, are in Syria, the Syrian way of approach to liturgy and spirituality. There is basically an Eastern and a Western Syrian tradition that produced the different rites of the church. Then there was one more, and that was the Byzantine tradition. So these are the, the three great sources, East and West Syria and the Byzantine tradition. By Byzantine, we mean what is today modern-day Istanbul. It used to be Constantinople, a great, great center in the eastern lung of the church. Now, there are also what we call the Oriental Orthodox churches, and they are made up of the Armenian Catholic Church, the Coptic Catholic Church, the Ethiopian Catholic Church, the Syrian Catholic Church, and the Syro-Malankara Catholic Church. Now, the Syro-Malankara, like the Syro-Malabar, Those churches are in India, again, founded by St. Thomas. Then we have also the churches that follow the Byzantine tradition, and there's quite a few of those. The Byzantine tradition is the largest, or it has the most jurisdictions underneath it. Think of it as an umbrella. The umbrella is the Byzantine style, the Byzantine approach to Christianity, but underneath that, there are a number of jurisdictions, such as the Melkite Catholic Church. Now, the Melkite refers to those Byzantine Christians in the areas of the Middle East, such as Syria and Lebanon. Also, the Ukrainian Catholic Church and the Ruthenian Catholic Churches. Now, these, of course, are in the area of Ukraine and Slovakia, northern Hungary, southern Poland, the epicenter of Europe especially the Ruthenian Church, and that's the church that I belong to. That's one of the jurisdictions of the Byzantine Rite. 
Ruthenian really means Rusin. It's an anglicized word for the word Rusin, which means the sons of Rus. It refers to the people who live in what are the lower Tatra Mountains today, the Subcarpathian mountain range, which is the exact epicenter of Europe. It's where Hungary, Slovakia, Ukraine, and southern Poland all come together. There's mountain ranges there, and in that region, back in the 7th century, there were people there known as the Rusin people. They never had a country of their own. They're something like the Slavic version of Palestinians. They are a people, a definite people, with their own origin, ethnicity, but they never had their own country. And so countries were formed over top of them, and those borders would change over time. So that's why we have Ruthenian Byzantine Catholics in areas of Slovakia, Croatia, Hungary, Ukraine, and southern Poland. But they all belong to the Byzantine Rite. I know it's a little bit complicated, but that's how the East is. <laughs> and that's why we try to explain it here on this program, Light of the East. We try to make it simple, even though it is complex. So let's move on to more of those churches that follow the Byzantine Rite. So we said there's Melkite, Ukrainian, Ruthenian, and Romanian. There's also actual Greek Catholics, in other words, Eastern Catholics who are in Greece that follow the Byzantine liturgy, the Byzantine style of worship, but they are actually living in Greece. Then there are Byzantine Catholics in the former Yugoslavia. There's Bulgarian Byzantine Catholics, Slovak Byzantine Catholics, Hungarian Byzantine Catholics. And these all follow, as I mentioned, the Byzantine rite, but there's different jurisdictions. So there's several rites in the Eastern churches and jurisdictions within those rites. In the West, there was several rites, not as many, maybe actually about four or five when you really look at it through history, like the Ambrosian Rite and the Latin Rite. But today, practically speaking, it's the Latin Rite. In the East, several rites with many jurisdictions. And this is why, for the most part, we associate Catholic largely with the Latin Rite, because it's so monolithic, it's so unified. It's one very large rite that is over most of the world and is the predominant Catholic in most parts of the world, but not in every part of the world. If you went to, for instance, Ukraine, and even parts of Canada in North America, there are actually parts of Canada where the more dominant Catholic in a particular area is actually the Byzantine Catholic, in particular the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic. If you went to certain parts of Slovakia and Ukraine, the dominant Catholic there would be Byzantine. So the Latin Rite is not dominant everywhere, but it is, for the most part, over most of the world. That's why we associate the Latin Rite with being Catholic. That's why a lot of times people say to me, well, gee, Father, uh, you know, we're a regular Catholic, or when did you become Byzantine? Because they assume that everyone starts out as a Latin Rite Catholic. And again, it's because Latin Rite is so much more pervasive. It's so much more in high profile. It's associated more in the common usage with what is Catholic. So they sometimes think that we start out Roman Catholic and then we choose to become Byzantine or some other rite. No, well, yes, a person can choose to become another rite. An Eastern Rite Catholic can choose to become a Latin Rite Catholic, and it does happen. But at the same time, we can also be born and raised as such. I was born and raised a Byzantine Catholic. My ancestors came from those regions where the Byzantine church was the dominant one, such as eastern Slovakia, western Ukraine, northern Hungary. Other people who are Irish or German or Italian or French and so on, their ancestry comes from areas where the Latin Rite church was most dominant. 
So as our ancestors came here as immigrants to America, they brought their respective churches. So if my ancestors came as immigrants, as Byzantine Catholics, they established their Byzantine churches here in America, and I grew up, therefore, in that culture. So I'm a Byzantine Catholic, and specifically of the Ruthenian jurisdiction. And conversely, those immigrants who came from Ireland or Germany, they established their churches. It's always an interesting bit of history and charm of a lot of the cities, especially, for instance, here in Chicago, where Light of the East is centered out of. You can go into the old neighborhoods of the Chicago area, and you can see these churches, these once mighty churches, old, beautiful, magnificent churches. I'm amazed at how many there are in Chicago. And they were all ethnic churches, meaning here was the Irish church on this corner, on that corner was the German church, down the street was the Polish church, and so on. (laughs) Now these churches, their character has changed a bit over time, but many of these old churches still are standing, and they're, they're great testimonies to what was once a very interesting history of the church in America. These immigrants that came from their respective countries, built their respective churches in their own respective little neighborhoods, and that's what made some of the charm and the, the wonderful history of our big cities like Chicago. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the basics of being an Eastern Catholic. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're talking about going back to basics here, entertaining basic questions that may be in your mind. Certainly, they're basic questions that come to me oftentimes by other people who may not be familiar with the Eastern churches. We already established the fact that basically, <laughs> speaking about basics, the fact that there are Eastern churches is because of how the church spread throughout the world. And basically, to try to make it simple, I know it's difficult when you're talking about Eastern churches, we're rather complex, but to make it simple, the church, as civilization did, developed along two basic worldviews, East and West. 
And within those, there are different rights or jurisdictions. In other words, basic different kinds of expressions of the Eastern approach to Christianity and the Western approach. Now, these are not diametrically opposed. They're not like as though they're different beliefs. They're just different expressions. Something like the many facets of a diamond. There's many things in life where there's just not one way to do it or to express it. Yet it all has to do with the one same thing. For example, music. There's not just one form of music, right? There's not just one kind of instrument, but they all have to do with music. The same thing with the church. There is one basic faith, but expressed and experienced differently. And that's part of the beauty of the church. Sometimes people ask me, well, how come there can't be just one way? Why can't we all be the same? Well, I think the answer might be in that question itself. Imagine if everything was the same (laughs) anywhere. It's the variety that God has put into everything, now including the church, that makes it beautiful, makes it fascinating, makes it interesting. And also because, let's face it, how can anyone presume to have the entire mystery of God in one form? How can any one form, one right, one of anything that's human possibly encompass or express the whole of the mystery of God in our faith? So, as I mentioned, it's a many-faceted diamond. It's going to take different expressions seen from different perspectives, but it's all the one same diamond. Now, other questions that are asked, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I hosted some seminarians from the Byzantine Catholic churches in Slovakia this past summer, and we were discussing things about how things are over there and how they are here in terms of the church. And it was, it was remarkable, <laughs> just to show you how universal these questions are that we're entertaining here today at Light of the East. We were talking about Latin Rite Catholics who don't really know that much about the Eastern churches. The seminarians who are in Slovakia said the same thing that I said, that basically people will ask, well, what is an Eastern Catholic church? And can your priest get married? And do you have long services? <laughs> Those are the three things that people seem to know, even though they know very little, per se, about the Eastern churches. And we had to laugh together because there they are in Slovakia and Europe. Here I am in America, and we find that the same questions are presented to us by those who may not be familiar with Eastern churches. So we're going to look at more of those questions. For example, married priests. Yes, in the Eastern churches, not all of them, but in many of the Eastern churches, there has been an ongoing tradition of allowing married men to become priests. Now, we have to say that very carefully because oftentimes people will say, oh, we understand that your priest can get married. No, no priest can get married in any churches, East or West, meaning the Orthodox or Catholic churches. Outside of that, it's different. But when it comes to the Orthodox and Catholic churches, those churches that have apostolic succession, there is never marriage after a man is ordained. There is only marriage before he's ordained. So in many of the Eastern churches, they've kept the tradition of allowing a married man to become a priest. Now, this was the case in the church East and West. That's right. Even in the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin Rite Church, for the first thousand years, there was married priests. Now, for the last thousand, there hasn't been. So sometimes it is associated that there was never married priests in the Western lung of the church, but there was for a long time. The East, however, retained, many of the Eastern churches retained that practice, that a married man can become a priest. Not every Eastern priest is married. And when they're not married in the Eastern churches, there is an urging or an emphasis for that priest 
because he's celibate, to be part of or at least aligned with some monastic tradition, some monastery. For example, I myself, being a celibate priest, I have a certain connection with a couple of monasteries. And this is advised, highly advised or urged in the Byzantine spirituality because we all need a community. We all need to be centered. We all need, well, we can't do it on our own. So we all need community. We need help. We need assistance. We need prayer life. We need people who are involved in that. So the monastics are actually great friends of the priesthood, both married and celibate. Certainly they are to me as a celibate. It's a place where we priests can turn. It's like touching home base. It keeps us rooted, keeps us connected. So the monasteries are very, very valuable to priests, both married priests and celibates. So in the Eastern churches, if you're not married, they urge you to either be a monk or be connected with a monastery. So no man is an island. We're not ordained bachelors. If we are celibate, it's another way of being married, in fact. It's another way of living spousally, of making that full gift of self. But just like a married person, you don't go it alone. You go with your spouse. And so even celibate priests have to turn to someone. And that place is our monastic friends, the monasteries. So a little bit about the fact that we have married priests in the Eastern churches. Not all Eastern churches, but most of them have a tradition of married priests. Now, in regard to so-called long services, (laughs) are the services long in the Eastern churches? Well, I guess comparatively so to the Latin Rite churches. They are long or longer, not always, but for the most part. And why is this? The reason is, well, first of all, the Eastern churches usually deal with smaller numbers, so we can afford to have less of a sense of time. For example, in some of the very large suburban Roman Catholic churches in America, when you have five masses on a Sunday, you do have to be able to get people in and out, the parking lots and so on. You have great numbers to deal with. So they do have to be a little more concise or streamlined about things just to accommodate their great numbers. And I really respect that in the Latin Rite Church. In fact, I find it rather ingenious how they can use the clock. I think in the Eastern churches, some of the numbers that are on the clock that Latin Rite Catholics use aren't even on our clocks. (laughs) So in the Eastern churches, we have the luxury of more of a timelessness because we're smaller. But secondly, the reason why services may be longer for the most part is because of the basic approach to God and to faith of the Eastern churches, the Eastern soul. And that is, that God is so transcendent, so utterly other, so indescribable, so beyond us. And notice what I'm doing here. Notice how I'm groping for descriptions. Now, I can go on and on trying to find a description to try to adequately describe God, and I wouldn't be able to do it. So we keep groping for yet another word to not only describe God, but to worship God, to immerse ourselves in the mysteries of God. And so the Eastern churches use a lot of words in their services. It's like we keep going on and on trying to find yet another way to express who God is and express our gratitude and express our sorrow in light of so great a God. And so this is why our services are longer. It's not like we try to make them longer. It's just that in trying to express, contain a mystery, it's impossible but it's like we keep trying, almost like we're on a spiritual treadmill where we're not really 
not really capturing it all because we can't, but we keep trying because we're moved to do so by the greatness of God in our faith. And there's also the question of Holy Communion. Can Latin Rite Catholics attend liturgy at Eastern churches, especially on Sunday, and can they receive Holy Communion? Well, the answer is yes, and vice versa. We are all in communion with one another, and that's why we're called Eastern Catholic churches. Now, this isn't the same for Orthodox brothers and sisters, because the Orthodox churches are not in full communion with the Latin Rite Church, although both have valid sacraments. They truly have the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But nonetheless, they have broke communion with each other a thousand years ago, and so they don't usually take communion from one another. However, the Eastern Catholic churches and the Roman Catholic churches, the Latin Rite and the Eastern Rite Catholic churches, can receive Eucharist from each other, and they can attend each other's Masses. In fact, it might be very advisable for Latin Rite Catholics to attend an Eastern Rite liturgy, whichever Eastern Rite. Try that on a Sunday, just to experience it, to see the other lung of the church, if you haven't already experienced it. So we can go to each other's services, and we can receive Holy Communion from each other. Now, in the Eastern churches, Holy Communion usually is in both species, and usually it uses leavened bread. And the leavened bread is consecrated and put together in the chalice with the consecrated wine, becomes the precious blood of Christ. In the Byzantine church, the communicant approaches the front of the church, and the priest or deacon takes a spoon, dips it into the chalice, and takes a particle of the leavened bread that is now immersed in the precious blood of Christ, and he simply drops it in the mouth of the communicant. The communicant opens their mouth widely, kind of like a little bird. You open your mouth, it's very simple, and the priest actually mentions your name as he gives you Holy Communion, if he knows the name. Or you can whisper your name to the priest before you receive. Well, there are many other basic questions we can deal with, and we will deal with in the future here on Light of the East, but these were a few of the most common basic questions that are posed to all of us in the Eastern Catholic Churches by those who are not Eastern Catholic or not familiar with the Eastern Catholic Churches. But hopefully you are a little bit more familiar today as a result of our program. So I want to thank you for listening. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.